I'm Gigi Johnson, and this is Amplify Music Conversations, where we captured the voices and music panels from the Amplify Music 2021 virtual conference. Over the course of the panels, you'll hear more than 100 panelists from a wide variety of cities and countries, each working in their local communities to recover from the challenges and changes of the pandemic. You'll hear about new community models, collaborations, and ways of organizing, each recovering and transforming their own music environment. The purpose of this conversation is to talk a little bit about how the shifts last year, um, brought on in part by the pandemic, have had an impact on virtual music production, on syncing and licensing and and business opportunities in the music space. Now, um, just to set the stage, if you think about you know, what happens typically during a crisis. You have um, sometimes new trends that emerge, but more often you have an acceleration of trends that were already underway. Over the last five or six years, the combination of these emerging streaming platforms, um, the uh, shift to home entertainment, the increasing use of mobile devices, the impact of social media have all created kind of this age of personalization. So um, those trends have have made it so that a lot more entertainment is kind of on demand. And it also means that we've created these new environments where, you know, how we get stuff made is not necessarily as well understood, right? And what consumers can expect in terms of their experiences also has been shifting, right? So Today, I'm so excited because I've got James Jacoby and Kristen Agee um, who are going to talk to you today a little bit more about kind of the new landscape, right? What is the new normal? What has happened? How has um, all this stuff changed what we see? And I want to drill down more specifically in terms of the um, ways in which music is integrated into other forms of entertainment, right? So when we talk about streaming or video games or social media and so on, we see these new opportunities for music to become a part of entertainment experiences um, that existed in different forms that didn't exist before, right? And that creates opportunities and challenges that I want to get into. So with that, I'm going to actually ask James to jump in real quick. Uh, James, thank you and welcome. So can you talk a little bit about the role that you play, you know, representing independent artists and big time artists and, um, you know, what you do for them and how that, you know, figures into the larger music ecosystem? Sure. So I work for a company called Anthem Entertainment. We are a a full-on music publisher. We represent a number of hit songwriters and producers, uh, including everyone from from Timbaland to uh, Vanilla Ice. We have rock music, country music. Uh, We have film scores. Uh, we have pieces of huge hit songs like Oops, I Did It Again, Every Day is a Winding Road, uh, House of the Rising Sun, and so forth. Um, we also have a small but mighty record label with a diverse roster of artists like Jose Feliciano is one of our artists and the uh, Canadian rock band Rush, who we also publish. We own their recordings and their publishing. Um, but we also own a sync administration brand called Lip Sync Music, where we represent independent artists and writers for sync only. And that goes from the most independent of the indies to, you know, some of the larger known acts like the Daptone Records catalog with Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings, uh, Steve Aoki, the, uh, the DJ. He has an EDM and dance label called Dim Mock. We represent them. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at. I handle all the sync and licensing for them. I don't do any of the creative parts where that calls for pitching, but I do handle all the negotiating, the licensing and the, and the clearances for that. So I am, uh, you know, neck deep into the world of sync. And uh, that is my day to day, my daily bread. 
So quick follow-up question because you dropped a lot of jargon and I don't know how familiar people are with um, the business of sync, um, licensing, clearance, et cetera. Can you just talk a little bit about you know what what are some of the considerations when folks, for example, making a movie or a video game, want to include music in their work? What does that look like? How does that work? Well, without getting too deep into the weeds here, I'll, I'll point out that we kind of look at two major copyrights, the copyright in the, the publishing side, the composition side, you can think of as maybe the melody and the lyrics. Um, so those would be your writers uh, and those would be the people who are published. And then we look at the copyright in the recording itself, the sound recording, which sometimes referred to as a master recording. So if you hear us throw that around the word master or publishing, we're really uh, referring to the recording versus the publishing. And so usually record labels are the ones who handle those master recording rights. Um, I handle a little bit of everything because my company does a little bit of everything. In some cases, we may have only a piece of the composition. For example, uh, Ice Ice Baby, Vanilla Ice, we represent his share and we represent pieces of shares of other writers. But we overall only have 31.67% of that song. So if you want to use that song in a TV show or a film or a video game, you have to get clearance permission for 100% of that song. So I can only clear 31.67%. The rest of it in this case for the, for the writers and Queen and David Bowie are handled by Sony Music Publishing. So uh, you would also have to clear the rest of that percentage with them. And then if you're using the original recording, you would then have to go to the record label that owns that recording and clear that recording uh, for 100% as well. So that's kind of the, the breakdown of, of Sync and how it works. Okay. And with that, I want to bring Kristen in. So, so Kristen um, it both has her own company and apparently has music credits associated with some of the things I really like. So Kristen, can you talk a little bit about um, 411, but also a little bit about your career? Yeah. Thanks for having me. And James, that was very well said. I don't know how I'm going to follow that. Um, Sharon Jones is one of my favorites. So, um, so yeah, good. so I'm, I'm Kristen. Um, I am normally in Los Angeles, but currently in Denmark um, and missing LA a lot. But I'm originally a composer and producer. I used to write full time for different publishers and artists. And then I got to a point where I was like, why am I selling my music to other people when I could be aggregating it myself? So I started 411 Music Group um, in 2012 and had zero copyrights. So no music to ref, just like a, a company on paper. And then launched a very small artist, indie artist catalog in January 2014. Um, and we've just sort of been building from there. So we're fully independent um, and will remain so. And we've we've built up a catalog. We have not um, bought any catalogs. So we have three divisions to our, our company. We have a production music side where we have music that like some indie artists, but also sound design and trailer music and score that we use specifically for film and TV sync work. Um, and that's all one stop. So like what James was talking about, master and copyright publishing, we have all rights 100% um, of each song on that side. And that has now about 55,000 tracks. And then we have a commercial artist side where we do rep artists and sub-publish catalogs and co-publish and admin um, for different catalogs around the world. And, um, and on that, we either rep the master side or partial publishing, or some of those are also one-stop. And then we compose for film and TV. So I handle all of the composition work now um, because that's my background. So we score 
lots of TV shows. We do, um, uh, we've been doing TikTok brand campaigns and partnerships. We've been doing a lot of podcasts recently, actually, that have won some awards recently, which has been fun. Um, and a lot of uh, trailers, sound design, and uh, whatnot on the custom side. So yes, and I'm a violinist. That's my main instrument and bass. Those, that's it. So yes. Thanks so okay, so, so so first of all, amazing both of you. <laughs> um, and this could be a conversation that will last three days because I would start with things like, okay, so that does that mean that you could score my podcast on home design on Mars? Right. Yes. Or, you know, um, what are we, how are we going to get a, a hot TikTok, TikTok collab going? Right. And, we, yes. and by the way, for those of you. So, yes, you know, um, we will talk and I'm going to ask Kristen in a second about kind of new emerging media platforms. It's not just TikTok. There's Triller. Now we have Clubhouse and all this other stuff. So this thing that we're seeing um, that is already getting some traction, there are a lot of other entrants that are going to blow this thing wide open. Um, so Kristen, can you talk a little bit about some of that composition work? And like two questions. First, from where you sit, it seems like, you know, you have this explosion of um, new platforms, right? And new experiences. And so that would naturally mean that there should be new opportunities. Can you, so you, you just talk about like, well, what, is, what does it look like? Does the future look bright? And secondly, you know, and this is, I would like James to jump in on this also, because both of you have talked about acts and content that people are really familiar with. But I do want to make sure that we also talk about the independent artists and where the opportunities are for them and maybe some of the roadblocks that we need to kind of move out of the way for them. So first, just kind of, can you just talk about the opportunity landscape? Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's, there's a lot to talk about, obviously, and we don't have so much time, but, um, but you mentioned like some of these new platforms and there are new ones emerging all the time. So we've really shifted and have been for a while, but like, I feel like this pandemic shifted us even more into this like digital and streaming platform mode. Um, I feel like the world is more global now than it ever has been. I'm sitting in Denmark right now, running a company from Los Angeles. So it kind of doesn't matter where you are anymore, um, including where our artists are um, and where these platforms are. So things are popping up everywhere. It's hard to keep track. Um, but I would say like the challenges, the, the pros are that people have more access now than ever. So I could like have put something like now on TikTok, TikTok, and then it go viral. And suddenly I'm getting like a deal with ocean spray and like getting a new truck or something. Right. So it's the access is, is like far it's exponential and it keeps growing. But the problem is cutting through all of that noise and how do you do that? So like, if you go to my TikTok page, I have zero followers and I don't post anything. And if I did, it would have like 10 views. So, so what we have been doing with TikTok and like different brands is working together to launch a music campaign for the brands that will draw more attention to that platform and that artist and that brand. So we write a song specifically for them for TikTok um, and they launch it and then they have brand partnerships on their side and influencers posting about it. And then suddenly we've done two campaigns now on TikTok that have had over 8 billion views each. So when you're talking about that scale, that's like as many people as there are in the world. Right. So the potential there is so massive. Um, and obviously like TikTok is now dict dictating the singles on Spotify, New Music Friday. Like you kind of have to be on all these platforms as an artist now. 
Um, but then like cutting through the noise is I think really hard. And then you need to have, for the most part, need people to help like us and James and other catalogs, publishers, managers, whoever's out there on the business side who specifically work on these types of things. You just need a team to, to make this happen. So, And this is where, James, I want you to get in here because I feel like on the one hand, these artists can't go around those platforms, right? It would be silly to try to go around Spotify, right? Um, yeah. But it's not that there's a whole bunch of money in it for them, at least in, in the short run, right? And we should be clear too, like the billions of views scenarios are, those are outlier situations. Everybody dreams of that, but almost none of us will get that. Um, my, my friend, Emily, uh, for example, she and her writing partner started doing their own little Bridgerton musical and it suddenly blew up. And I can't tell you what's happening to their career now as a result of that. Um, but you know, th those are the, the situations that you almost never see. Maybe you'll see a couple of those per year. Most of it, like the meat and potatoes of it, are going to be the independent songwriters and artists out there who are just trying to scratch together a living or perhaps are, are already not able to make a living off of that. They have to do other work in order to, to survive, um, but they want to demonstrate their, their artistry. So where do I come into that? Usually, you know, when I talk about some of the artists that we represent, especially the more independent artists that we represent through our sync administration, these are people who, who are hungry to have their stories told and to have those stories expanded. And I just see myself as the, you know, one way that they can add to that story. And that means embracing every possible digital format that's out there whether you're still using SoundCloud or Spotify, it's TikTok, it's, you know, Triller, it's any, any vehicle that you have that speaks and aligns with your artistry, you should absolutely explore. Uh, but I also think that most artists and writers should not hold themselves back from those either. Be there. If you can be there, you should be there because there may be people looking for you there. My job as a sync agent is to try to um, find a way to monetize that for you and make sure that you're getting paid your share for whatever your, your copyright is. And, uh, and so that's where I step into the picture when I represent artists who are, for example, if somebody wanted to do a cover of the Rush song, Closer to the Heart or Tom Sawyer, they would still have to talk to me. We would still have to negotiate what those rights look like, even if they just want to put that cover on YouTube. But I'm also mindful, you know, even when it's a huge band like Rush, I'm mindful of making sure that they are protected as well. So I, I kind of play this balancing act between, you know, what's going to make their, what, what's going to be respectful of their fans um, and what's going to be respectful of their copyright at the same time. And I always put things through this filter in my head, which is always to think of the artists and writers I represent first. I'm never the person that's going to be thinking about like, what's the bottom line for my company or how is it going to help my department? Sometimes it means saying yes to you know, a lower fee just so that that independent artist can further their story a little bit and maybe get a little bit more momentum. So uh, you know, it's a balancing act, but I, I try to do what's right by the writers and artists. The, these digital platforms and the explosion of that in the last year in particular has been huge. We've seen such a huge uptick in the live streaming, you know, the live concerts, whether it's on Facebook or it's on some other platform. Um, so there's so much happening. And I think that we really advanced the technology behind what's happening uh, by years just by being stuck at home. It's funny that you talk about technology because this is a great example of where the technology is not the limitation, right? There are all these platforms where people can connect to the entertainment experiences they love, but not all of them are set up from a business perspective 
to easily incorporate published music, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah, none of them are, <laughs> honestly. I mean, I think one of the biggest challenges of all of these new platforms, it's great to have all this access, but it's really hard to collect and monetize on these mm-hmm. platforms. Like, one, you know, I just said we've had 8 billion views per video for these TikTok campaigns we've done. But where, where is that revenue? Is there revenue? You know, that's sort of a big question that everyone's been fighting for. And um, I think as new platforms pop up, they, it wasn't like, it didn't happen with music in mind. They're like, oh yeah, let's make sure that we're registered and signed up with all the PROs worldwide and that we have figured out all of our rates and we're like have deals with all the publishers. They just kind of go like they're tech platforms. And then there's a big backtrack to catch up to that and be like, okay, well, wait, you can't just use the music. You know, it's, it's a copyright that you're infringing Mm -hmm. on. So there's a huge learning curve when these new technologies pop up for then what, what we come in as music publishers and tell people like what they can and can't do. So that is one of the biggest challenges is trying to collect and monetize the music that's out there. And I was just reading that Facebook is getting ready to launch some kind of a clubhouse uh, clone or, or something that's their clubhouse. And I guarantee you, they're not even going to think about music until a year or two from now when the, no. the you know, the, the media publishers out there and, and everybody is going to start fighting for their pieces of that pie. Um, and that's just the way that it is. And, and we've kind of gotten a little bit more used to that cycle, new technology, not paying for those rights. Eventually there's lawsuits, eventually there's pressure, and then maybe some money might, you know, come down the pipe. Um, but that's part of the cycle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now it turns out that we also have Andrew Wallenstein. So Andrew is um, the head, basically, of um, of the uh, Insights platform for for Variety. He's a journalist, a researcher, an entertainment guru, and we talk about the pie. Andrew knows the size, shape, color, and flavor of the pie. So I did want to make sure that. Um, we heard from him a little bit more about some of the trends that we've seen over the last year. Andrew, could you just talk a little bit about this kind of shift to streaming, um, you know, emerging platforms and kind of what that means for the business? Uh, This really has been an incredibly unique year, uh, a year of both anxiety and opportunity for uh, lots of different facets of the entertainment industry. You, I mean, it's sort of like at some port, at some parts, COVID sort of giveth and others it taketh away. Uh, you look obviously at the streaming entertainment world, video streaming. I know we're talking a lot of music here, but the video streaming world has clearly exploded. Uh, and that doesn't just necessarily benefit Netflix, but uh, a host of challengers that are really coming up from the traditional media world are starting to see some growth as well. I still think it's very early innings of what will be a very long race. Um, the sheltering at home crowd uh, was certainly poised to consume more TV than ever, but it seems as if they have really gone towards streaming as opposed to traditional TV in a big way, which you could argue is an acceleration of a trend that was going to happen at some point, perhaps play out slower. Um, But when you look at cord cutting levels, which reached record highs in 2020, uh, when you look at ratings declines, clearly we're we're, we're seeing a paradigm shift that is moving faster than was always going to happen, but now is just moving a lot faster. Um, 
you know, what, what, I, and I, you know, apologies because I missed the beginning. Um, but what strikes me as interesting on the, on the music side is where there's also just a lot of opportunity, but also damage. Um, you look at how obviously the live business concerts and such have been pretty much completely ground to a halt, but there was such innovation in terms of live streaming of concerts, in terms of the virtual presentation of concerts, like, you know, through avatars on Fortnite and other of these metaverse ecosystems. I think that those are not sort of short-term band-aids. I think those will help for the long-term of the music industry. I think it will ultimately um, supplement audiences that are coming for live. I think it's going to take a long time for all that to play out, but Again, you have to look at the pandemic period as sort of being the place where it sort of forced a lot of experimentation that I think will ultimately be good for music in the long run. And I wanted to piggyback on that just a little bit. When we're talking about the acceleration of these streaming services and and we think about just what Netflix and HBO and what all of that has done in the last year and what the effect has had on music, um, I think that for years we were seeing some downward pressure on a lot of the fees associated with the music uses on these shows. And now that there is such an influx of cash into these streaming services, I'm starting to see the fees come back. I'm starting to see better opportunities for music on some of these shows as well. I feel like there's more music in some of these shows and scripted programming in particular than I used to see. I don't know if you're seeing the same thing or not, Kristen, but I feel like there's been an explosion in sync opportunities yeah, in general. Definitely. We have too. And the only people behind that curve are the traditional linear TV networks mm-hmm. and platforms there. Um, totally. All the streaming and digital platforms have have definitely come to meet the traditional network um, rates, if not are, are higher now. Um, and so we're definitely grateful for that. But but I, I really do think and what we try to balance as a business, and I would also recommend as an artist, if you're watching this um, or publisher, like whatever side you're on, we always are trying to balance the new technology where there's potentially no money in the back end and, and royalty and all of that because it hasn't worked out yet and the old models that are still paying. So we're always mm-hmm. looking at like what's next and being ahead of the curve. Sometimes you lose because you're not getting paid. Um, but you, I feel like because technology is at where it is, it meet, you have to look at all of these options and try to do something um, with music on all of these platforms if you can. But it's just a balance of, of the old and the new right now, I think. So I want to stay on that a little bit because Andrew just teased something that I think is really important, this explosion of new content platforms for, for you know, traditional scripted uh, entertainment. Um, you know, there's so much now kind of geographical, social, um, and other diversity in the, on those platforms in terms of the kind of stories, the regions those stories come from and so on. And it seems to me that that's an opportunity to broaden the palette for the types of music that might find their way into those shows. Um, and Kristen, I was wondering if you could just talk a little bit about like, you know, how you negotiate those opportunities and how, you know, artists, you know, so for example, example, a country music artist or, you know, kind of a niche artist from, you know, a subculture in the United States or in Europe might find the way to get their music onto these shows when, you know, obviously the writing team probably is familiar with that culture, but the pub, the the studios themselves, the executives of the studios may not know, right? Like how do you navigate that? How do you create those opportunities? 
Yeah. I mean, we're really excited for all of that. We love having diversity in our team and roster, and we're always looking for that and always have. Um, And I think, honestly, I feel like the shows are pretty on top of those new trends, you know, like I remember when K-pop became popular in the U.S., and then like maybe two years later, everyone wanted K-pop in their like in club scenes or whatever it was. And and I feel like that's happened with Atlanta, you know, like the Atlanta mm-hmm. hip hop scene and like Chicago, like as a viol- classical violinist, but punk rocker, I appreciate all types and aspects and genres of music. So I'm a big fan of having um, a lot of diversity and and I feel like like the, and this is almost an old thing to say, but everybody's looking for authenticity, whether it's on TikTok or on Netflix or on, on an ad, like people want to see you for who you are and, and be authentic to whatever that, that scene is or whoever the artist is. So if it's an Atlanta show, they want Atlanta hip hop. And, Mm -hmm. and I think that we've only benefited from those kinds of like having niche genres and niche artists and underground stuff, because people are really looking for that. And, and again, like it comes back to access, people can find it. And that's like a number one thing I think that we all have to pay attention to. So yeah, it's, it's exciting for us. Love it. All right. So, So I think we're at the end of our time. Um, what a wonderful conversation. Andrew, Kristen, James, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom uh, for with this you. group. Um, <laughs> and Gigi, I'm going to hand it back to you. Well, thanks for listening to Amplify Music Conversations. We hope you enjoyed this discussion and come back to listen to our other podcast episodes, either following us in your favorite podcast player or at amplifymusic.org or even on YouTube. And you can find a way to sign up for our email list and join our various groups on Facebook and on LinkedIn. We'd like to thank the Institute of International Business at the University of Colorado, Denver, who sponsors this podcast series, as well as the conference sponsors, Mia, UCLA Herb Alpert School of Music, the Creative Arkansas Community Hub and Exchange, Ben Zugel, Tully, and Lyric Find. We've had great support putting this conference together this year, and we look forward to continuing these conversations with you through this podcast. Thanks for listening. You have found one of our adventures now in the Marimel Podcast Network. You can find our shows everywhere that you listen to podcasts. We've got Amplify Music Conversations from the Amplify Music Conferences during the pandemic, Creative Innovators, and now Innovating Music. If you're interested in following up with us in any of these shows, please reach out on our websites and you can find those in the show notes.